you'll turn with me to Genesis 17. We're working through the Abraham stories to get the foundation of the, the Old Testament here, seeing the big, the big picture, the big story of what, how, the, how the Bible is one big story that leads to Jesus. And so last week we saw how, really in shocking, beautiful terms, God cutting this covenant with Abram, walking through these bloody pieces of animals, right? God's declaring that I and I alone will do this for you. And I came across this great quote by Ray Vanderlaan, you know, looking back and saying, look, this is God was saying to Abram that if this covenant was bro- is broken for any reason, my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price. If you or your descendants for whom you are making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. And we saw last week that was the moment that the Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on Jesus Christ, his son. And so that astounding act of grace is going to lead into more, uh, he's going to expand on that covenant that he's making with Abram here in chapter 17. Abram's continually needing his weak faith strengthened because you're going to see he responds to God's blessing with a massive moral failure. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But let's, let's read the first 14 verses of Genesis 17 and, and listen to God's word. It's the word of our Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called uh, Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in the house Or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And this is God's word. Uh, He has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we are recipients of the grace that you worked and even the the obedience of faith that you're working through Abraham. And so we need your Spirit's help to to understand this passage, to renew our minds, to better understand how you promised the gospel a long, long time ago, 
to Abraham and to his offspring. And so I, I pray you would help us this morning see the bottomless depths of your covenant commitment to us in Jesus so that we then might reflect your character and, and love our neighbors as we have been loved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how good are you at waiting? Uh, waiting for a gift that you have been, know is coming? Right in my household, I have a reputation for not being good at waiting, especially when, I, when it's almost Christmas and I have a list and it's November. And I know if I put it on my list, right, you know, as long as it's reasonable and not like a brand new car, I'll probably get it, right? This, this is adulting. Sorry, kids. This is how Christmas works. But I know several times since we've been married, I was like, it's November. It's not Christmas yet. I want it. I'm just going to get it. I want it now. Why wait? Why wait for the gift promised to me when I can just get it now by my own work? Much to uh, Bethany's chagrin and frustration, Right? Waiting is hard, and waiting for a gift you know is promised, but you haven't yet seen is difficult, and that's, that's what we're seeing in the life of Abraham, or Abram, as you will. He's not yet renamed. He's been waiting 25 years since God promised him to give him the gift of a son. He's 99, so I guess say 24, right? It's going to be a 25-year wait. He's 99, and he got the promise when he was 75. Right, so at 75, he got that promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then in chapter 15, God said, I will keep my promise, and if I don't, may I die. And then chapter 16, they get tired of waiting. Abraham's 86, and that's when they impregnate, impregnate their servant, Hagar. They blow it massively. And here we are in chapter 17. This is 13 years after Ishmael's birth. And God continues to make Abram wait and wait and wait to make it seem even more unlikely that God could ever fulfill this promise of bringing life from a dead womb in his old wife, who's 90. And so you're getting a picture that even though Abraham is the, the model of our faith, he's a man who has weak faith, and God keeps coming back to strengthen his faith, to draw him along to respond to him where he's at. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Is we're going to look at the covenants and the, the sign and seal of that covenant, which is given to us for our weak faith, just like Abram. And so let's start by looking at God's giving of the covenant to Abram. All right, that when Abram was 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the Lord God Almighty, or I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That I may make or give my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Right, Thirteen times in this chapter, God, the word covenant comes up. God says covenant a lot. And so it's really helpful before we start talking about circumcision, is just to let's give a brief overview of what covenant theology is. Right, I'll be brief. Because, I've, I mean, there's books upon books written on this thing and how the, the story is connected. But the, the whole Bible really is one big story about God's covenants and the way he relates to his people in a covenant relationship, right? Uh, the, these, these covenants function as the backbone, if you will, 
that connects you to eternity past, <laughs> to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, and ultimately to Jesus. Uh, this is why we can say out loud, right, the, the, old, the Bible really is one big story that is about what God is doing to lead us to Jesus. Right, so we've got to talk about covenant theology, and, and so we're going to turn on our brains here a little bit. You already are a covenant theologian, you just might not be aware of it. Right? The moment you pick up the Bible and, and open and know that there is an Old and New Testament, you're doing covenant theology. <laughs> There's an old covenant that didn't change people's hearts. There's a new covenant that changed people's hearts because of what Jesus did. Um, next week, we're going to experience covenant theology. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. How does Jesus talk about taking communion? He says, this cup is my blood uh, this is my blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 11. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right? Jesus talks about his death in covenant language. So the moment you take communion and, and remember what Jesus has done for you, you're, you're thinking in terms of covenants. Right? Jesus can't not talk about covenants because that's the tradition. He, that, that's the story he is living out connected to what came before. And so it's really helpful to start. If you want to say, what is covenant theology? Just, just connect it in your mind to the vocabulary. The covenant theology is showing you the gospel from beginning to end. Right? Because that is how God always has chosen to relate to you, to relate to me, through covenant relationships. Right? He, he graciously condense, condescends himself. He comes down to us to enter into a relationship as the king entering into a covenant relationship with his servants. So, I said covenant a lot, just like this chapter. What is a covenant? Uh, there's lots of different definitions, I find, uh, thinking about it as a binding, bloody relationship between God and his people. Uh, there's a famous definition by Palmer Robertson. It's a bond made in blood, right? God makes promises, life and death promises. That's why we talk about blood where he says, I swear to do this, and if I don't, may I die. And we, we enter into this covenant relationship that demands us obey, or we're cut off from him forever. Right? And so I, I think the closest thing we have to compare with covenants is that of marriage. Right? And I'm assuming, like Genesis 15, that you didn't have bloody animals lining your, your wedding aisle. <laughs> I hope not. Um, but it's this idea that this binding, bloody, intimate covenant relationship is designed to be an eternal relationship, right? So part of the covenant is God says, here's what I will do for you. And we say, okay, I will, I will obey. And there's blessings for obedience. There's curses for disobedience. And right, I'm, just, I'm giving you a real big overview here. And there's blood involved in the covenants because human beings aren't easy to get along with. We're faithless despite God being faithful. And so what is the heartbeat of a, a, these covenants? What's the goal? Why does, God, why does God even enter into covenants with Abram and with Adam and with Noah and with David and with us? Right? What's his goal? I will be your God. You will be my people. 
Even in Revelation, the, the Lord God will be in your midst and he will dwell among you. He will be your God. You will be his people. Right? The, the purpose of covenants is so that God can dwell with you. <laughs> to be your God and you can belong to him. And so, the big idea is that covenants show us how the Bible is connected from beginning to end and how committed God is to dwelling with us at great cost to his son. All right, and we can, we can walk through them real quick, right? We, this is how the sermon series is structured, but we, we started before creation, that God the Father covenanted with God the Son to, to redeem a particular people and give Jesus what he needed to accomplish our redemption. Go read Ephesians 1. Uh, we talked about the covenant with Adam, the covenant of works. There, God said to Adam, obey me. If you do not obey with the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, uh, you will die. Right? It was a covenant relationship, and the overarching principle of this covenant of works is that if you obey, you will live. If you disobey, it won't go well for you. You will die. You'll be cut off from fellowship with God. Well, we know the story because here we are in this mess that we call this world. Adam failed. And we all fell in Adam. We're all covenant breakers like Adam. And so God swears at the beginning there in Genesis 3.15, he starts this, the covenant of grace. He swears, I'm going to send a son of the woman, an offspring, to right all that is wrong with the world. I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. And that begins the covenant of grace. All we know, it's going to be a son, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent at that point. And so the rest of the Old Testament is just expanding making more clear, giving you more information on how God alone is going to do this for us in this covenant of grace. Right? So you see it with Noah. He saves Noah and makes a covenant and promises to save all of creation. So God's committed to the world now. That's what the rainbow is for. I will not destroy the world. I'm committed to the world. We're in the Abraham stories. Right? God gives this unconditional covenant of grace to Abram and his descendants that I will do this and should you or your descendants disobey I will pay the price for you All right and he's going to enter into a covenant with Israel right and and that's the old covenant that the sign of that covenant is the Sabbath but the whole point of that is if you obey me you will live <laughs> you, you hear that over and over again and then God enters into a covenant with David he says you need a king Right? And God promises he will send a king like David, but better. The, 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 the ruler your heart has been longing for. And then, and then in the prophets you hear over and over again, you know, as you think about and look at human nature, what's the big problem with human beings? It's their hearts. They're not able to obey. They were never interested from obeying. In the, even in the beginning, they need help. They need a new heart. And so God promises a new covenant where he'll give them a new heart, well, to be able to give them a new obedience, and he'll give them his spirit and his presence, and he'll walk among them. And that's all pointing to Jesus. And Jesus shows up to fulfill all of that, right? This is a flyby of the whole, the whole Old Testament, right? That's why Jesus says, this drink is the new covenant in my blood. I am instituting all those things that I promised, that were promised long ago. The stories are true is for the remission of sins so that I can be your God 
and you can be my people. You're given that gift of knowing the Lord. You have the Spirit who writes the law in your hearts. You actually want to please God. That's not a natural thing. And you get in on that just like Abraham, by faith. It's accounted to you as righteousness. And so, um, now that that's crystal clear, <laughs> I know that was a, we just, I just put the pedal to the metal here to, to give you a big idea, is that God is always related to his people in covenants. And with all these covenants, he, he gives a sign. And he gives a seal for the weak faith of his people. And that's the context we're stepping into in Genesis 17. Um, because when God says, I am God Almighty, walk before me, and be blameless that I may give or make my covenant between you and me. Right, We're back in a similar place where Abram was in chapter 15. Um, chapter 15, he was afraid. Here, this is the aftermath of, of Abram's giant moral failure with Hagar. He took a woman who was not his wife to get her pregnant so that he might have an heir and force God's hand. Right? And so God is giving Abram the terms of being in relationship with him. Right? And he's also getting reassured that God will actually do what he said. Right? Abram's like you. He's like me. He needs reassurance. He needs the covenant spoken to him, shown to him. He needs a sign of God's promises. He needs, he needs to know God you really got my back, right? God, will you do what you said? He, he's got a weak faith that is growing. We'll put it that way. And so Genesis 17 is a reassurance text. It's, it's reassuring Abram that God will do what he promised, even as he calls Abram to step up and obey. So let's look at it here. Who is the one speaking? God says, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai is the word in Hebrew. Some of you might start singing that old song chorus from the 90s, right? Or 80s. I'm not sure how old that thing is. <laughs> it's the 80s? Okay. I wasn't that old then. Right? It's El Shaddai in Genesis over and over again. This is the God who basically accomplishes life out of death. He gives hope to the hopeless when it looks like Everything is most dire. This is God in all of his power able to make something out of nothing. Right? It is El Shaddai, the God of Abraham, who's going to heal the deadness and infertility in Abram and Sarah's bodies to give life and give them a child, Isaac. Right? And then God says, okay, this is my covenant. I'm go I want to give my covenant. I've already given my covenant to you, but here's the terms of what it's like to be my servant. Right? Walk before me and be blameless. So you can think of Genesis 15 of God saying, I'm going to bless you. It's unconditional. Genesis 17 is given more clarity of what is Abraham's part in this deal. What does it look like to believe? What does the life of faith look like? Walk before the Lord and be blameless. Right? No pressure. Right? You know, to walk before the Lord is... Literally, it says, walk before the face of the Lord. That, that everywhere you go, you, you walk, you live, you act, you breathe, knowing you do so before the face of God, that he is watching. 
that the only eyes that matter are the God who made you. And on the flip side, it's also living among your neighbors knowing that is true. <laughs> uh, when, when he's told to walk before the Lord, it's, it's, it's this idea that when the world looks at Abram, you're my representative. Abram, you're my guy. You're my representative to the world. So show them what it is like to have a right relationship with God. Abram, be what God intended for humanity. Blameless. That I might bless the nations. When you think about blameless, right? Be blameless. Be wholehearted. Be committed. Be without blemish or be without fault. It's this wholehearted obedience. Right? I mean, you think about Abram. So far, he's already lied, deceived to protect his own skin when they went down to Egypt. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 16 here in a second. Right? If these are the terms that God desires in a covenant relationship, is he going to get them from Abram? To walk before him and be blameless. Right? I mean, listen to chapter 16. This is what happened. 16 verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that I, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. See, Abram, listening to the voice of Sarah, that's the exact same phrase to describe Adam listening to the voice of his wife, Eve. Like Adam, he's a covenant breaker. Right, And so you're holding those two stories up in your head. If Abram is listening to the voice of his wife about a forbidden fruit, who is the forbidden fruit that, that they should not take to use to become like God and provide for themselves? Right, they should not take Hagar, this female Egyptian slave, to use her for their plan to have a child. I mean, you think about the, what is going on in their hearts. I mean, they are so desperate for a son to that they scheme against God and oppress and impregnate an Egyptian slave. And that's exactly what it says, is Sarah took, it's the, the language of taking the forbidden fruit. Sarah took Hagar and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. How far from blameless is Abram? He's supposed to be blessing the nations. He's supposed to be loving his neighbors. He's supposed to show them what a right relationship with God looks like. Not oppressing. Not harming. I mean, we have, there's harsher words for what he's doing. They're taking this woman that's it's not his wife. Right? And what happens in the story is Hagar, Hagar gets pregnant she is saying, well, now I'm better than Sarah because I've given him a son. And she starts rubbing it in, and Sarah gets mad and humiliated. And Abram doesn't want to deal with the conflict. And so he says, do with your servant whatever you want. And he lets her send Hagar pregnant alone into the desert wilderness. Functionally a death sentence. And it so it takes the Lord to clean up Abram's 
not-so-blameless mess. He protects Hagar, he protects the unborn child, and he promises to bless Hagar if she will go back. Uh, she's going to bless him because he's, she's connected to Abram, despite Abram's evil and failure. And she's going to have Ishmael, and he's going to become a great, a great leader of nations. And so, chapter 16 is helping you hear just the weight of what God is saying to Abram. Walk before me. Remember where you are. Remember what you've done. Remember who you're in relationship with. And be blameless. That God's plan to bless the nations at this point hinges on Abram's obedience. We'll see how that works out in chapter 22. But we know he's not blameless. Israel was told, walk before me and be blameless. Blessed are those who keep the law, for they are blameless. You and I are told to be blameless, right? Keep God's commands. That doesn't happen. So what is God calling Abram to do, right? How does this covenant work? And so you keep going here. Behold, in verse 4, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And then verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So, after that mess Abram made, he gets a gift of grace, doesn't he? He gets a new name. You're still my guy. You're still going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Abram, Abraham and Sarah, with their new names, and told that kings are going to come from them, are actually given royal status. Right? They're, they're honored here. And then it says in verse 7, the covenant is between God and Abraham and Abram's Abraham's offspring for this everlasting covenant commitment. And so in the big story, you get that big question, who is Abram's offspring and who in the world can be blameless? Right, that's just the story of the covenant. And it's not until you get to the New Testament where Paul makes it clear in Galatians chapter 3 and he says in verse 16 that these promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but it refers to one. And to your offspring, one person, one seed, who is Christ. See, to Abraham and his offspring, Israel, walk before me and be blameless. Right? None of those people are blameless in the picture. To Abraham and his offspring, Christ. Walk before me and be blameless. Christ was blameless. And so, Genesis 17, what it's doing is expanding Abram and saying, I need you to obey. You are in this covenant relationship, and the promise is, I'm going to bless your offspring. You're going to have children, but there's one particular offspring that the, the covenant is looking forward to. And it's through this offspring, Christ, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right? Over and over again in the, in the Abraham narrative, that's what Paul wants you to remember, is that this is a promise. And so if the promise depends solely on Abraham's 
obedience. It's no longer a promise. It's law. And for God to give us this gift of grace, life with him, at the cost of his son, Jesus, it has to be a gift. And so this covenant here is with Abram, his offspring, Christ. So Genesis 17 is looking forward to Jesus fulfilling God's promises for us, for the nations. Right? That all the families of the earth might be blessed. So, what happens next? We get the sign and seal of the covenant, and this will lead us to, to the baptism here. Right? God says to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, and the way you keep my covenant, this is my covenant. Uh, there is obedience involved on Abram's part. Every male among you shall be circumcised, whether they're born to you or, or one of your servants in your household. Right? My covenant shall be in your flesh, an ever, everlasting covenant. What in the world is all this? <laughs> right, what does, God gives Abraham a sign of the covenant and a seal for his faith. Right, he's, he's trying to assure him. And so this is helpful to think through. What does the sign of circumcision, what is it communicating to Abraham? Right, one, it's communicating judgment for his sin. He's not blameless. Right? It's a bloody sign of judgment that all who have this sign know um, there's a part of them that needs to be cut off. They're, they're impure, they're unclean. Right? I mean, he has a bloody sign of the covenant It's reminding him, I, I think this is the purpose, they're reminding him at the taking of Hagar. He's a covenant breaker. Right? I mean, later in, in the, the Old Testament, circumcision becomes a metaphor for what is wrong with us as human beings. Circumcise your heart. You have this stubborn nature. I have this stubborn nature that doesn't want to do what I'm told. And that part of me needs to be cut off, removed. Right? So it's a sign of judgment. It's also a sign of mercy, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith where God says, you deserve judgment, by, but by mercy, you and your offspring belong to me. It's a, it's a bloody mark saying, you are mine. Right? Abram, you've been cruel, greedy, scheming to get what you want, willing to harm others in the process, but you're mine. That's what the covenants do. They seal you, your faith. Right? And all who are circumcised are keeping covenant, and all who are not circumcised shall be cut off from God's people. That's the point. It's, this is really intense. Right? You're either in or out based on circumcision. Right? And I think it's also important to notice that uh, the sign of this covenant to give Abraham children is connected. Right, He's circumcised. It's connected to his promise, I'm going to make your family huge, and it's going to bless all the families of the earth. And so what God is doing here Abram is being marked in his flesh along with all of his offspring to remind him of the gospel. I'm not blameless, but I need someone to be so for me. But I belong to the Lord, and he has promised to bless me through my children, through my offspring. Abram was re being reminded in Old Testament terms, God, I will do, you belong to me, and God, I have to trust you. You're going to do this. 
So who gets the bloody side of the covenant? All the males in the household. Anybody who's connected to the covenant community through those who have faith. Right? It says in verse 23, Abraham and every male in his house, including Ishmael, we don't hear anything about their faith. Simply by being connected to Abram's faith, they're given this sign and seal of the covenant. Right? They don't wait for Ishmael and all the servants to say, oh yeah, I see Yahweh the, same, the way you do. They're blessed just by virtue of being part of this covenant community, this covenant family. And they're marked by the sign, fully expecting that they're responsible to make a profession of faith, to have their heart circumcised. Now, why do we talk about circumcision as Christians? Right? Because God works through, relates to us through covenants, and he gives us a sign and seal for our faith and for our children, the way he did Abram. Right? The sign of the new covenant is baptism, and in our tradition, right, it's to be administered to us who believe and to our children. Right? We, we heard it this morning in Acts chapter 2. Get the whole picture. Jesus died for sinners in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's sermon. And then it, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, What should we do? And Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children, right here, offspring, and for everyone who are far off, all who the Lord God calls to himself. And so who is the promise for? It's for those who believe and for their children. He, he's literally echoing the language of Genesis 17, that the promise, the covenant, is for you and for your offspring. And the promise is, if you repent and believe, you get the Holy Spirit. God will be God to you. You will be, you will be his. And so think about it this way. Children of Christian believers are blessed by God simply by being born into your household. And we give them the sign of the covenant, baptism, like Ishmael, like Isaac in the future who's going to be born here, whether they believe or not. Right? We're waiting for faith. We're praying for them to believe. We want them to know who God is. We teach them. We train them, trusting that because they're marked and because they're in this community, they have all the ordinary means for God to lead them to a profession of faith and have their hearts changed. Right? They're given this bloodless sign and seal. Right? They're, they're blessed. Just by, they're, they're marked out as being different in the world because the children of believers live a different life than children who don't know the living God. Right? So, what does the sign of baptism show us? Is there blood involved? No, it's water. It's bloodless. Why? Because it's pointing to Jesus, who's already gone through the bloody baptism of death and judgment for us. Jesus went through that circumcision, that, that bloody cutting off from God's people when he died on the cross for you. 
as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ's blood was shed and judgment fell on him. That's why it's a bloodless sign. It's a sign of judgment of what Jesus did for you. It's also a, a bloodless sign of mercy. It's, it's washing away our sin and we're given the Holy Spirit. Right? It's this picture of you're not blameless. Jesus was blameless for you. You now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, body and soul. Right? The point is, is it's pointing to the mercy that Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. And because Jesus died once, right, there's one circumcision, there's one baptism, there's no need to repeat it if you've been baptized as a child because it's pointing to what Jesus has done and we're, we're trusting that God will work in the hearts and lives of our kids because he's marked them of saying, you've, you've been given all these great gifts, we're waiting for you to believe. Right? Baptism is a sign of God's promises fulfilled. And so that's why when we baptize our children, we're going to baptize Asher here shortly, right? Um, in contrast with our Baptist friends, we find this faithful to the scriptures, right? I mean, there are those in the Christian tradition who say it's only for those who believe. And we're saying, no, baptism is following the tradition of God's covenant given to Abram. Abraham. Um, in contrast with our Roman Catholic neighbors and the, the official Roman Catholic teaching, there is nothing about the water that saves any child who's been baptized. Right? There's no grace being magically transferred to the children. Uh, there's nothing special about the water. He's simply being marked by the sign of the covenant, which is pointing him to the fulfillment of what Christ did. Right? And so for us, as we think about Asher, Asher's name means blessed, that's our prayer is, as he's marked and being brought into this community of faith and he's surrounded by others' faith, we're praying that God will give him the gift of faith and he'll be truly blessed as he gets to know Jesus and what he's done for him. Right? See, Asher, Ishmael, Isaac, you know, while they're kids, they can all say, because I was marked by the sign of the covenant of grace. God was pursuing me while I was helpless and hopeless. He pursued me first. Right. That's Abraham's testimony, isn't it? Abraham was helpless and hopeless. He couldn't manufacture anything on his own. He couldn't, couldn't manufacture a child. Right. With the eyes of faith... What this sign is pointing to, that I get to see Jesus walk before the Lord. I get to see him be blameless, see him be crucified for my willingness to take the forbidden fruit, right, to, to harm others in order that I might belong to God forever. And what do we hear from Colossians? What happens when you believe? Right, you're accepted as holy and blameless without fault. Nothing I could do could earn that blessing. It's a gift of faith. And so, as circumcision was meant to encourage the faith of Abraham to trust that God will fulfill his promises and point ahead to the salvation to come, we look back and the baptism is meant to strengthen our faith to say, look at God's faithfulness to his promise. And as you see him love you in that way, that's calling us to deeper 
grace-motivated obedience. So, I mean, it's something to wrestle with. Have you been baptized? Do you have the sign and seal of the covenant of grace? It's a gift to you to strengthen your faith, to, to point you to what God has done in Christ. And when you're baptized... Uh, you now belong to this visible covenant community that we call the church, and you're marked as different. different you're, you're marked out, separate from the world, and, and we make a big deal about Jesus here. <laughs> All those who are marked by the covenant, the sign of the covenant. So, in conclusion here, right? The chapter ends with God saying to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah, your wife, you shall call her, not Sarai, but Sarah, and I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give you a son by her, and she shall become nations, and kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And he promises that he's going to have Isaac, whose name means laughter, right? See, the narrative ends here with God convincing Abraham that Ishmael is not the heir and God's going to give them a son of promise. It's, right? Isaac, he's a son of laughter. <laughs> right? The fact that they're going to have a child, right? it's not doubting the, what God's going to do. It's, I can't believe we're going to have a child. My wife is a nonagenarian, right? She's 90. Look at the power of the gospel. (laughs) And so the promise is that God will bless Isaac and pass on the line of the Messiah through Isaac. But you know that that what Paul calls you and I? He calls us children of the promise. We're like Isaac. Children of laughter. Saved by grace and grace alone. And if Abraham fell on his face... Because of the power of El Shaddai, God Almighty, who gave him life, how much more should we laugh at the wonder of God setting his affection on us and bringing us into the covenant community? Through the shedding of the blood, we don't, get, we don't look at circumcision, we look at this bloodless sign of what has already been accomplished. So we get to laugh at the wonder of grace because if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's offspring. And if you're Abraham's offspring, You're an heir according to the promise. And thank God that promise doesn't depend on our being blameless, but on Christ's blamelessness for us. Let's pray. Father and our God, we thank you for uh, this text. And even though it may have been in unfamiliar terms, we still get to see Jesus. And so I pray that as we see this baptism coming here, Uh, that it would not only strengthen our faith, but it would drive us on to faithful obedience, and we would just fall on our face and laugh that you made yourself known to us and you chose someone like us. It's a gift. So may your spirit be among us and bless your sacrament and deepen our faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.